hey, we're glad that you're uh, here with us today. We are in our second week of, of Ephesians. And just to kind of like catch you up from what we talked about last week, because it was it's kind of an important part of the message, talking about the word chosen and predestined and election and all that. You can get bogged down in that in theological debates and stuff like that. And obviously I have my opinion about things uh, as I read the scripture and try to filter that through 66 books. But to me, the most important part of that is the two words in Christ. When I, at eight years old, asked Jesus to save me from my sins and to be the Savior and the Lord of my life, I was immediately in Christ. All the way eternity past to eternity future. It wasn't until that point when I made that decision, basically I just raised my hand and said, help. Help me. And uh, the Savior came in. Uh, I think I then said, it was probably uh, my late 30s, mid to late 30s, that Dale, I begin to understand what it means to live outside of my own strength and to trust the spirit that lives inside of me. Yeah. There's the Holy Spirit, you know, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit lives inside of me. Yeah. I'm holy. Somebody said on the news this week, winning $1.34 billion, the odds are better for somebody to call you a saint than you would winning the lottery. You're a saint. You're a saint. Because that's what the Bible tells us that we are that we're holy, that we're righteous, that we're forgiven, that I have this Holy Spirit living inside of me. And He wants to do my life for me. If I just let go of my own strength and figure this thing out, He will do it. He will do it. He will carry me through the joys and the grief of life. And so because of what he did, because of what he did in my life, he made me a saint. And he made you a saint. You are holy, righteous, and redeemed. And you can't forget that. That's like, this is is what Paul's literally trying to tell the people at Ephesus. If you can, if you figure that out, if you figure that out, that that there's, the holy living God lives inside of you, I don't have to become a manager of sin for myself or even for you. I literally believe what the Bible says, that he comes in and he will live your life for you, and and then I'm not even focused on sin. I'm not. I'm focused on what Jesus is doing in my life. That's the main thing. 
And so you'll come here every Sunday and you're going to hear the same thing over and over and over. There's a Holy Spirit living inside of you and he wants to do everything for you. And if you get brainwashed by that thought right there, I don't have to worry about your behavior. I don't have to worry about what you do. In fact, whatever you do, it's not my responsibility. It's his responsibility. I believe that he will do it for us. And so Paul is as he writes this letter to the church at Ephesus, he, he's writing to the, the body of believers, knowing that there's going to be non-believers that hear that, just as I believe most everybody in this room here are believers, but there may be some non-believers in here. And if that's the case, you're going to hear two different messages. Because the believers have this Holy Spirit living inside of them, and as it says this morning in Ephesians, you'll probably be able to understand it. So Paul literally has presented grace to them, this unmerited favor. And we also explained it not only as a salvation thing, but it's God's ability to do things in us. That's grace. Like, if it's dependent upon me doing it, you're in trouble. It's a whole different life when God gives me the ability to do things. So when a person receives that grace, they have a desire to serve God. But they also have this ability to do it. That's the beauty of it. It's not just the desire, but he gives you the ableness to do it. He will do it. As, as our knowledge of God and Jesus increases, so does the grace. So does the understanding. I look, I had this discussion before the service. Like, I'm not so concerned about your behavior because if I pointed out your behavior, you would probably stop listening to me. And so I'm more concerned about your identity, about you knowing Jesus. Because if that's all that I focus on in here is your identity. God may allow you to hear it. He may allow you to hear it. I pray that he does. Second Peter again, one, one verse 2 says, My grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and our Jesus our Lord. So the last verse that we covered was uh, verse 8. And he literally said, God lavished us with all wisdom and understanding. He poured out wisdom and understanding. Let me explain this to you. We have very knowledgeable people in this room. They're very knowledgeable about the Scripture. They're very knowledgeable in Bible history. They're very knowledgeable in the financial world. They're very knowledgeable in building things. But there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. And wisdom is able to take the things of knowledge that you know and use it from God's perspective. He's the one that gives wisdom and understanding. And it literally says right here, he lavishes us with that understanding. So this morning, 
I pray that he lavishes you with understanding as we continue in this book. Verse 9, it says this, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ. Now, uh, as I said, anything that a believer learns comes as a result of God's revelation. I can stand up here. I've literally stood up here since 2007 and taught identity. And there's some people that still can't figure it out in the last 15 years. It's not my responsibility to reveal it to you. It's his responsibility. He's the one that makes known to us this mystery of his will. And I, I believe God's will is only understood by those who are redeemed. It's, if, you don't, if you don't believe in Jesus, how can you ever understand what God's will is? You make God into your own God. That God does what you think your opinion is about things, and he should do this, and he should do that. That doesn't get us anywhere in this room. The only thing that gets us here is knowing what God's will is. And we do that by reading the scripture, by praying, by hanging out together, challenging one another. It says, we are in Christ. I'm in Christ. So what does that mean? Well, part of the mystery in Paul's day was this was that the Jews and the Gentiles would both receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The Jews thought it was their gift that Jesus would be the Savior. But then Paul went out and he says, hey, you know what, the Gentiles can do this as well. And that's part of the mystery in his day. But I I think part of the mystery of his will is you knowing what his will is. Like doing youth ministry for so many years, there's always the same questions that teenagers have, and they're not much different than what the adults have. But one of the the top three questions is, what is God's will for my life? Where am I going to go to college? What's going to be my next job? Who am I going to marry? Let me tell you something. God's will for your life is the same that it is for mine. No, you're not marrying my wife. I've already married her. But God's will is this, is that you walk by His Spirit and that you let Him live your life for you. That, that, it seems like to me nowadays, that's the mystery of God's will, is that people can't figure that thing out. Is that if you go back to the front of the book, or you go to the front of the New Testament, and Jesus has read letters, and he, they give us all these laws, they give us all these things that we're supposed to do, that that's how we live our life. No. Jesus died on the cross. He literally died. He was buried. He rose again so that you could have life. And that he could do life in you and through you. It all changed after the cross. I don't need a list of rules. 
I don't need Jesus' red letter sermon on the mount to tell me how to live life. I said that. <laughs> I have a Holy Spirit inside of me that's saying, hey, I got this. It's not going to contradict any of that stuff. But I'll do this for you. And to me, I think that's the mystery. Believers are allowed the privilege of seeing good things that come out of bad things in life. I was wearing a shirt yesterday with all these old Cincinnati Reds uh, players on it. You may have seen it on Facebook last night, but Matt's like, if if, if you see it, it, you have to be able to get it. And so we use that term, get it, do they get it, a lot. Well, then you have to answer the question, what's it? I, I believe the mystery of knowing God's will is knowing that there's a Holy Spirit inside of you, that he calls you a saint, that he's redeemed you, that he's like, I'll breathe for you. I'll take every breath for you. It's it's hard to be a uh, chaplain and not explain things. I got a call at 6.20 this morning uh, from the Fisher's police. And can you... Go with us to make a, a death notification. One of our Elwood police officers was shot in a traffic stop last night. Fisher's police arrested the guy, and he's a young man that's been on duty for two months and lives with his parents here in Fisher's. So I'm supposed to explain this. I, I wasn't able to go, obviously, because this is a priority. We have other chaplains that were able to go that don't have responsibilities on Sunday, but how do you tell the parents this? I believe it. I believe it. But here's what I believe. That it has to do with the spiritual, not the physical. It has all to do with the spiritual, not the physical. In verse 10 it says, As a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in Him. I know this. In the end, all things in Christ will be restored. Now, uh, let, let me make note of this, because a lot of people nowadays, a lot of pastors are saying that everybody's going to be restored. That's a form of universalism that everybody will be saved. I'll be honest with you. If God saves everybody, I'm good with that. <laughs> if he does that, but based upon what I'm reading, what it says right here, it says, in Christ, there's those two words again. It says both things in heaven and things on earth in him. If you go back to uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 3, or it's not Romans, excuse me, Revelation, Revelation 5, 3, or even Paul's own writings in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, watch this, it says this, the things in heaven, on earth, and under earth. Under earth being the underworld, which we obviously know that there was a 
paradise. There was Abraham's bosom. It's all the, the, the same thing that when they go, they were in a waiting place. That's not where you're going to go. It's not where you're going to go. But the fact that it says both things in heaven and things on earth, it doesn't say anything about under the earth in this passage. So what's going to be restored? All things in Christ will be restored. Like, you, it's going to go back to the way it was before Adam and Eve ever sinned. Everything will be perfect. Nothing will die. All things will be restored in heaven and on earth. Then verse 11 it says, In him we have also received an inheritance, because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. All right, so many people will translate this passage of Scripture to say, we are his inheritance. It says, in him we also have received an inheritance. I, I don't know if it really matters if we receive an inheritance or we are his inheritance. Both things are pretty good, right? I mean, you think about how most people consider themselves worthless sinners, rotten, no good, it's by grace that we... Well, that doesn't even fly in here. He says that you're worth a lot. You're holy and blameless before Him. You are a special person. And it says predestined according to the one who, who works who energizes out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. Like, I, like, it's chosen that he wants to live your life for you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Tell us that Satan has power too. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with every kind of miracle, both signs and wonders, serving the life. I... I believe there is spiritual warfare that's going on right now. I believe that. I believe that the evil one is working. Again, how do you explain what happened this morning? How do you... It's a battle. There's a battle that's happening right here on this stage right now. There's spiritual warfare that's going on. It tells me that Satan's alive and well. What Paul's saying is we need to make sure that we're plugged into the right source. God's will is that, that none will perish, but that we walk in the Spirit. Verse 12, it says, So that we who already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. I go to Romans eight twenty nine. It says, For those he foreknew, remember eternity past, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We will be conformed to his image at the resurrection. We are being made into his image. Like I was not born in his image. I was born in the image of Adam. I know that's maybe contrary to what some of you have read, that we're born in the image of God, but we're actually born in the image of Adam. And once I, at eight years old, I came to know Jesus. 
I was transformed into the image of Christ, and my behavior is being transformed. Verse 13, it says, In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. When you believed, that moment that you believed. I believe that truth exposes error, and if I want to know what truth is, I go to John fourteen six, and Jesus said, I am the way, and I'm the truth. What is the truth? Jesus. That's it. You can have all your opinions, you can have all your political ideas, you can have all the stuff that's going on in our state, in our country, and everything else, but if you want to know what the truth is, it's simply Jesus. It, if you want to know my opinion, you're going to get Jesus. That's where I'm going to land every time. In him, when you believed, you were sealed with the promise in the Holy Spirit. It's only if you are in him do you receive that seal. Seal is similar to the significance of the signet ring that they talk about in Daniel chapter 6, verse 7. So when we are sealed, there was a transaction that was completed. And the seal brought protection, it brought security, it brought authenticity, it brought ownership, it brought approval, and the seal's not to be disturbed. It's not to be broken. That's what we received. Verse 14, it says, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of the glory. It, this is like an irrevo uh, irrevocable pledge. Uh, my daughter got engaged at camp this year, and her fiancé, Sam, put a ring on her finger, and we call that an engagement ring. Like, this is a promise that I make to you to marry you. And this is the same thing. The Holy Spirit is the down payment for our inheritance. It, back up a second. Like At the point of salvation, uh, we know that we are going to spend eternity with Jesus. That's the point of salvation. But a lot of people will go to church and they'll think that they have to die to get to heaven to receive the goodness of that decision. When Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he says, I came that you might have life right now and might have it abundantly. Like we can literally, we can literally have this abundant life here in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the grief, in the midst of death. We can have abundant life right here. But get this, that's just the down payment. That's just the down payment. There's something greater. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Verse 15, it says, This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. Paul prayed for wisdom and understanding in verse 8. He was constantly praying, I pray for you. I pray for myself. I pray for revelation. 
he's like, don't leave your first love. I think I said in here a few weeks ago that my database company allows me to like archive people. We had over a thousand people that have come here and I archive like 500 people because they've kind of just walked away. They've walked away from this. They've chasing their flesh. I, not my responsibility. Yeah, I pray for them. I pray for revelation. I pray for understanding. I pray that for you right now as we sit in this room. In verse 17 he says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. In the New American Standard, it will say, a spirit. I, I don't know if it's a spirit or the spirit, but I know this, that wisdom comes from a spirit or the spirit. And really, it's the sense of understanding. It's the sense of revelation, things being revealed to you as you even sit here. It's a, it's a crazy thing when you can stand out there and say goodbye to people and uh, they may bring up a certain thing that you said in the message, and there may be 30 different messages that were heard here this morning. I'm like, what? That's what you got out of it? Well, again, it's not what I'm revealing to you, but what the Father is revealing to you. Just reading the Scripture and trying to explain it the best I can from the will of God. He says, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart, that the heart being your innermost emotional, mental part of you, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength? So that you may know what the hope of his calling is. Many will translate the calling to be one's career, one's vocation, one's job. That may be part of it. But just as uh, I said earlier... I think everybody's will is the same. God's will for you is the same as you walk by the Spirit. But how you do that is different. And that, my friends, is the calling. It's different. For me, for you, it could be the same, but most likely it's different. It's just your journey and my journey. And that includes what Matt was talking about, the whole You've been given the giftedness of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All those things so that as we walk according to God's will and whatever our calling is, it's the things that we end up doing. And a lot of you, many of your journeys come through trials. Some of you have had a far more difficult life than I have. I've got friends that I don't even understand how they do it. 
But I go back to what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. But we also boast in our afflictions, because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What are his glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints? If the church can see this as the things that they have received that are glorious and rich, if they can figure this out, it will cause them to walk differently and to act differently, to even breathe differently when you can take the focus off yourself and see the bigger picture. I've always said to people as I counsel with them, you need to zoom out. I know that you're so focused on your situation right now, but just zoom out. We need to see the bigger picture. There's a bigger picture here and God knows it. That you may be enlightened to the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. In many households, in many households, there's uh, one person that pays the bills and the other one uh, may have some idea where they are financially. Like, there, there, there's honestly people in the room that don't know where their family is financially because someone has always taken care of it for them. But imagine the thing, imagine the thing, if the other party begins to investigate what they have and they come to that understanding, it's not any different in the church. <laughs> it's really not. You've got people that are like digging into the word and figuring things out and they're going, oh my gosh, look at this, look at this, look at this. you got others that don't have a clue. doesn't mean they don't have salvation. They're just missing out on this rich inheritance that the Lord has blessed us with. We have to see the incredible value of one another. I believe this. If you can look to the person sitting next to you, if you can look to the person that lays beside you at night, if you can look to the kids that are down the hall from you or look at your kids that don't even live with you and see the value that God has placed on them, you treat them totally different. If he's done that for you, Surely he's done that for them. It's not about me. I, I'm thankful for what God has done in my life, that he's made me a saint, that he's holy and redeemed. But I sit here and look at, I look at everybody else and go, gosh, he's done it for them too. And it causes me to treat you differently. That, my friends, is the church. We are his inheritance we become totally selfless in Christ. In Christ. God, I pray today that you would 
uh, revealed, that you would give wisdom, that you would give understanding as we sit here and just break down your word. That it's not about our accumulation of stuff. It's not about the physical. It's about understanding the spiritual and what you have blessed us with. I pray for this Fisher's family that lost their son today. May you comfort them. May they know you. May you walk with them. I pray for our chaplain that went with them to notify him that you even bring calmness to his heart. That you comfort them. So today, Lord, we give you thanks just for uh, what you've given to us in the midst of a fallen world, in the midst of chaos, that you love us and that we are seen as valuable. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.